Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the Finest Service Organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I am privileged to have two members of the Seattle Police Department. Uh, We have Jennifer Danner, who is the Crime Prevention Coordinator, as she's waving there for all those you who are watching on video. And we have Officer Matthew Robertson, also of the Seattle Police Department. Uh, I had the distinct pleasure of hearing them speak about crime prevention during the Pacific Northwest True Crime Festival. And I said, you know what, damn it, we need to get them on the show. We need to talk about crime prevention. We don't talk to enough folks from police and fire departments. So Jennifer, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us today. (laughs) It's great having you, you know, let's dig right into crime prevention. And, you know, I'm blessed with having a, a healthcare professional as my wife. And she always says, you know, it's about healthcare prevention. It's about catching this crap before it happens, before you wind up in, you know, all these, you know, issues and you're going to the doctor every week and so on and so forth. And I think that's kind of the same thing with crime prevention. Let's stop some of this stuff before it even happens. So I think that the obvious question is, you know, what exactly is crime prevention? What does crime prevention look like? I think there's, this is kind of a tough question, but I think I'm going to break it down a little bit by first talking about like some criminological theory. Um, So a really basic theory of crime that we talk about is called the triangle of crime. Um, Mm -hmm. So basically triangle, right? Triangle has three sides. Um, And in order for a crime to occur, you have to have all three sides of the triangle in the same time and space. Um, You have to have a means, a motive, and an opportunity. So we have to have the ability, the desire, and an object or a person or a place um, for a crime to occur. So when I think about crime prevention, I think about trying to disrupt one of those sides of the triangle. So either means, motive, or opportunity. Um, When we talk about personal safety, we really focus on that opportunity, right? How do we make it more difficult for someone to commit a crime against us personally? So how do I make myself a harder target or hardening a certain space for a crime to occur. Um, But we talked a little bit also about how officers in their work can also kind of disrupt that triangle or kind of have an impact on one piece of that triangle. Um, Matt, do you want to speak a little bit about that? And I can um, jump in as well. Sure. Um, And this is what we were chatting about before we got on the air live with you. Is this more kind of talking about how officers um, have the ability to kind of affect the means of potential, like people would want to victimize somebody that like, if there are high emphasis patrols going on and officers are really engaged in the community, uh, they're present and people kind of know that these areas are cared for, not just by the mm-hmm. police department, doesn't say are there, it kind of makes it feel like for somebody who'd want to uh, commit a crime against somebody that, Hey, maybe I don't really have the ability to do this here. So there are kind of some options that we do have within this uh, crime prevention concept that touch on the variety of ways. It's really hard to influence somebody's motive, but maybe that's not something that's in the police department. That's maybe where we talk about where social services and other 
mm-hmm. agencies that police departments are trying to work a lot more with to give people help on that side of the triangle so that with all three of these things kind of put together, hopefully all that is a way that we can limit the things from happening in the first place. And mm-hmm. I think what it kind of comes down to is uh, our current chief, uh, Adrian Diaz, um, when he was an officer a long time ago, I wasn't even in the police department. I went to something that uh, he was talking about, just like working with youth and uh, how, you know, if you can reach somebody young, just mm-hmm. like how much money, and that's what some people yeah. understand, how much money this can just save if you can impact somebody and keep them from getting involved in the juvenile justice system, the adult justice system, uh, mental health or drug rehab, whatever that is, just how much money it saves a community to invest back in itself. Yeah. And so I'll pass back to you. Um, I think kind of just to expand a little bit more on that, of kind of like what does crime prevention look like? Mm-hmm. Um, I try to think about it as kind of which side of the triangle are we trying to impact? Um, so as Matt said, right, sometimes officers can impact a motive or a means um, by being present or working with the community, showing an area is going to be enforced or going to be emphasized. Um, and really my work as a crime prevention coordinator, I try to work with individuals, with businesses, with community groups um, to try to limit that opportunity. Um, I, I don't think of myself as um, sort of a kind of oblivious, right? Um, I understand that we're not going to prevent all crime. Are you like, are you like Batman? Is is that what or bad girl? Sorry, you know. <laughs> I um I try to be you know realistic and just know mm-hmm. that you know um if the motive is there right if somebody mm-hmm. wants to commit a crime um they're probably going to um it just is a matter of where and when um so can we make it more difficult in a certain place or with a certain person or with a community even um to really push that somewhere else, um, not necessarily in that specific place. Does that make sense? Sure. No, it, it makes sense. And yeah, I was going to dig into this whole you know, planning ahead and having some forethought, but mm-hmm. what um, Matt just said, you know, was even going deeper into the planning ahead, you know, before, before somebody even becomes a criminal. <laughs> and I love that, you know, I love that type of mindset and you know for you know a lot of our listeners our officers our law enforcement i don't know as as a civilian who supports police you know staunchly not blindly but staunchly that enough departments are going to that level are saying you know let's let's not just try to protect the community and prevent somebody from breaking into cars by being visible or teaching let's go even below that and get and connect to these communities before you know, they end up in gangs before they end up with drug problems you, do you do you, how did how did that concept come about in you know you kind of alluded to it a little bit with the with the chief but do enough police departments really go to to that level do you think I think this is a really great question for Officer Roberson yeah. um, with his youth, with his outreach. It was specifically with youth. He used to work in a school, um, so he has a lot of experience with working with youth and trying to um, really intervene at a young age to try to prevent those means and motives. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll do my best to if if, if you if you if you don't do your best, we'll just cut it out. So don't worry about it. Yeah. So I I told you we'd have some fun. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, 
Yeah, so what I, what in my experience, um, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I didn't start my whole like adult career as a police officer. I started working in youth work for the city of Seattle at a community center. And through that work, I kind of um, came into contact with our officer Diaz at the time, who is now our chief Diaz. Um, what I've kind of seen go on in Seattle, and I can't necessarily speak to a lot of other departments, um, is that there's been a consistent uh, emphasis and support for youth engagement, family engagement through the entire time I've been in the police department, which mm. has been about 10 years. Um, and specifically seeing it from our chief when he was at the officer level, how involved he was and how he worked with me as a you know community organizer, doing things with teenagers to say, hey, what do you wanna do with your kids? How can I help make that happen? Mm -hmm. You know, Helping get money from the police foundation to do some special projects attending like overnight programs with us where we took kids camping or inner city. They'd never been in a, a tent or any of that kind of stuff before. Um, really exposing them to things that they haven't seen. And then also just meeting officers uh, in times where there aren't emergencies. And so I think I've seen consistent mm -hmm. uh, support for that, even through these last two years, which have been incredibly tough, where a lot of departments across the entire country are facing staff shortages. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of uh, maybe doors that used to be open with community that were shut, but now they're starting to open again. Um, but the Seattle Police Department still has said, hey, this is a priority for us. Mm -hmm. We're not going to stop reaching out towards youth and families now because uh, we know what's going to happen when, that, when the program stops. Uh, five or six years down the road, there's going to be a lot of things happening, maybe youth start dying again in the community. That's kind of what happened 2007, 2008 in Seattle. Eight youth in one specific community in South Seattle were killed in the span of a year. And mm -hmm. people are learning like, why did this happen? A lot of programs weren't operating the same way they were. So we're trying to stay involved as best we can and really not uh, take our foot off the gas. Like if things are good now, let's continue to keep them mm -hmm. good, uh, the relationships up um, and try to be as evolved as we can. Um, and that's what I really have enjoyed about working for Seattle, um, that they still supported this work. If there's something I wanna do, uh, I'm not necessarily told no. They're like, all right, well, how, how can we make that happen, right? Uh, it's not just a flat no. And so I'm really grateful to kind of have it. That's what I'll try to contribute to this point, yeah. Yeah, no, I love I love that approach. I know we've kind of gone a little offshoot on the general conversation, but I, I think I, I think that that is so key. You know, maybe maybe I'm naive as somebody that's never been a first responder or a police officer, but I always thought, you know, and it's no secret, we won't go down this road in this conversation that the last two, three, four years have been tough for police officers in, in most big cities. But it, to your point, if the first time, say, an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or even a five-year-old is seeing a police officer and it's some and in some type of community event, it's you know something that is a non-emergency situation. Yeah, I gotta think that's gotta be a lot better than hey, you know, my my cousin who is leading this gang just got shot and there's a bunch of cops and this is the first time I've seen them. Um, I would think that you know maybe I'm ignorant, but that would be a negative <laughs> event in that child's life. So I, I I love that way of thinking. I also think. 
that you know I've, I've said this before that I think our youth and I've also been fortunate I've I never grew up in a bad neighborhood I've never been poor yeah so I I, I don't know what it's like to to grow up that way but I would think that if there's a positive officer influence, that that could be our training ground for new officers, a path other, yeah, a path in the police force rather than in selling drugs or you know stealing people's cars and so forth, that that would be a positive out there. Is that kind of the thinking around that or am I just going off the rails here? No, I, I think that that's part of it. I think it's not just um, sort of recruiting future police officers, right? But I think it's also um, encouraging the community to feel comfortable in calling the police. Mm-hmm. Um, if young people, um, you know, like the the youth that Matt and his team work with, if they have a good experience with an officer and feel comfortable going to someone like Matt and say, hey, I saw something that made me feel uncomfortable or I experienced something that maybe should be reported to law enforcement, they might be more likely to actually call for help Mm -hmm. if they've had that good experience versus maybe only experiencing um, in an interaction with a police officer when there's an emergency or when someone is hurt or when they need help, right? Now a word from one of the POCUA's proud business partners, officerprivacy.com. Officerprivacy.com was founded by Pete James, a law enforcement professional with over 25 years of experience. Pete wanted to find a way to help law enforcement officers protect themselves and their families. So he formed a team to create a way to quickly identify and remove their information from certain sites. Officerprivacy.com is the result. This service is already offered through a select few of our POCUA organizations. As a listener of Public Safety Talk Radio, you can take advantage of a special offer from officerprivacy.com. Go to officerprivacy.com slash POCUA, and when you sign up, you'll get two additional bonuses. In addition to removing your personal information from the top 30 people search sites, they will give you your first two months of monitoring free. This is a value of $39.98. In addition to that, you'll receive a cell phone privacy device, a 1999 value. This prevents data from leaving your cell phone when you use public charging stations and is a must when traveling. So go to officerprivacy.com slash POCUA today to take advantage of this offer and to protect your privacy. Organizations who are members of the POCUA and are interested in offering the service directly to their members, contact us at POCUA at btcinc.org. Yeah, I think uh, having the ability to have some officers who focus a lot on like youth and family program and just community outreach in general has led to some concrete examples where I can tell you over the last year, uh, attending kind of like a, a monthly meeting um, with community organizations out there, uh, with some of them, they know our officers and they've been able to get uh, some young people to turn in guns, mm-hmm. uh, no questions asked, and we've been able to take them off the street, right? And we've gotten a couple of guns off the street um, that were stolen, but mm-hmm. they're not being used to shoot at anybody. Right. And it's one of those things that like, if we didn't have that trust established, they're not gonna give it to another person who's gonna give it to us. Right, and that's just one of the things that it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. And so, if if we're talking about just general departments out there, what they can do, our model in general has usually been 
if we're going to try to do a program with somebody is that we're going to ask for at least 24 to 32 hours mm -hmm. of contact with whatever that group is um just knowing that like with that amount of time you can actually uh, grow a relationship uh, people can learn who you are trust you and kind of know that hey what this person says is the truth um and it's not to say that like one-time events aren't good those are good to like initially meet people but um what i think our model is trying to be is like we want to do our one-time events but we also mm -hmm. want to sustain like, let people know that hey i'm going to keep coming back you're not just going to see me one time and and that was it and then yeah i think that's what's been pretty successful for us um in in this model of like crime prevention through like uh you know community building um mm -hmm. you know just resourcing with people who are out and about that do the job that I used to do because I had I knew all the kids that went to the schools in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and they're like hey we're wondering about this and I had a relationship with the officer I would gladly tell them you know hey this is what I know about this uh you know I'll try to look out for that and oh give, thanks for giving me a heads up about this I'll make sure we watch out for whatever's going on and that's kind of what our relationship was when I used to talk with uh Officer Diaz at the time, but now Chief Diaz. Yeah. As you know, we kind of begin to wrap up a little bit here, um, because I want you you two have much more important things to do than to talk to me <laughs> out there in Seattle. Um, for any of the departments out there that maybe don't have a crime prevention program, or maybe they have, you know, maybe one individual that, you know, out of, you know, 80 hours a week dedicates 90 minutes, you know, to this, you know, for police departments that, you know, listen to this, view this and say, you know what, that's a damn good idea. We should start a crime prevention type of program. What are some of the things that they can learn from you or that you would suggest where, where those police departments should start? Well, I think in general, um, at least here in Washington state and in many states across the country, um, we do have crime prevention associations. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, the Washington State Crime Prevention Association, I'm on the board of directors, I'm the secretary currently, um, and I have a colleague here in Seattle who is the current president. Um, they're a great place to start to really get some contacts to learn from your colleagues and your peers in this profession. Um, for example, here in the Pacific Northwest, we have a quarterly crime prevention networking meeting where we just get together from law enforcement from Linden PD, which is really mm -hmm. close to the border, all the way to Olympia. Um, every police department in that area is invited and we just sit and chat about what's going on in our region, what we're experiencing, what new programs we're trying, um, things that have worked, things that haven't worked. Um, I would also encourage police departments who are interested in crime prevention to learn about National Night Out. Um, mm -hmm. National Night Out is a huge event for us every year um, here in Seattle. Um, I think this last year we had something like 1,800 block parties registered that night. Um, and our police department, we sort of divide and conquer and try to hit as many of those parties as we can to communicate with residents, talk about crime statistics, talk about crime prevention, talk about how to call us, when to call for help, other things like that. Um, so if someone was just kind of just starting out, I would encourage them to try to reach out to their crime prevention association. Um, here in Washington, we have a great association and I'm happy to connect anyone with them if they're interested. Um, outside, I can also connect you with other um, states associations. Um, I would encourage National Night Out. Um, I think mm -hmm. Lockwatch is another really easy mm -hmm. program that is really effective. 
at getting community members to communicate with one another and then communicate back to SPD when they need something. Um, so Blackwatch is really just at its root communication with one another and then to your police department. Um, and that's a pretty easy program for a police department to support. Um, it's a pretty simple um, meeting community style where you talk about concerns and then talk about reporting, um, but it can be a great way to get community members comfortable with the idea of mm -hmm. reaching out to their police department if they have questions or concerns. Um, but Matt, any other thoughts on like if a new department was interested in crime prevention, um, what would we suggest to them? Yeah, uh, if I wanted to give like maybe a suggestion for uh, police departments that want to do more like community work or mm -hmm. programs is to, if they're a city agency, do they have a parks and recreation department? Um, is there somebody in Parks and Rec that works specifically with teens that can work with somebody on the police mm -hmm. department to come up with something? And this is where I think like sometimes police agencies might try to reinvent the wheel, but know that, hey, I'm a city worker, Parks and Rec's a city worker, we can, we can kind of combine forces. Let me take somebody whose job is to work with young people and kind of talk with them with what, what I want to do and then create something together. And you don't necessarily have to fight over like resources. Police departments don't generally have like a lot of meeting space mm -hmm. or like recreation room. And so that's why you want to look to what does my city already have? Or what does my county already have? That if uh, we're saying this is a priority, maybe pulling some data to show that, hey, interactions with youth, how does this improve uh, their developmental assets and, um, you know, their ACEs scores, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and go out with data, say, hey, this is already here. Um, if this is a priority for our city, this is a priority for our county, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Support yeah. uh, the police department uh, to do this with them. Support, uh, you know, other agency, or sorry, other city workers to volunteer too. We can all take a role in, uh, you know, developing the youth, supporting families and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great suggestions. You know, I've heard of National Night Out before. It is a great program. I haven't heard of Blackwatch uh, yet, but I'll look into that. Some really, really good suggestions there. And I, I think that, you know, some of it's it's always interesting to me how things come back around in a circle, you know, in that you know, some of the retired older police officers, you know, always talked about, well, you know, I knew what was going on because I knew all these folks. I grew up in this neighborhood or I, I knew this city worker. Or I knew the guy that that owned the grocery store. I knew what was happening in my area. It wasn't a surprise, you know, later on. I think you're hitting on that a little bit. Jennifer, how did you get involved in crime prevention? Did you wake up one morning and said, you know, I'm going to be a crime prevention expert. How did you get involved in this? Um, actually, I never thought I would end up here. Um, I got an undergrad in sociology with okay. an emphasis in crime and deviance. So I studied why people commit crime mm -hmm. um, in my undergraduate degree. And my intention was actually to be a parole officer um, and work with individuals who had um, been convicted of serious crimes and then were coming back into the community. Um, ended up going to grad school, got an internship with SPD at the time, um, never thought I would end up in a police department and had a really great mentor and a captain at the time. And he said, you know, have you ever thought about crime prevention? You're really good at community outreach and mm -hmm. these community meetings. And um, I never thought about it until 
he suggested it and applied. He recommended me and I kind of fell into it. Um, and I've been with SPD almost eight years and I really enjoy what I do. I think crime prevention is something that police departments need to put more of an emphasis into um, because if we can prevent the crime from happening, right, if we can work with youth to try to prevent them from um, committing crime later, if we can help individuals mm -hmm. to make their business or their home more difficult for a crime to occur there, then we sort of are nipping it in the bud, right? We're yeah. kind of fixing it before we have to call officers like Officer Roberson um, into the situation if we can prevent it from even happening. Um, yeah. So I think that crime prevention is so important and I really, I think it's valuable work and I, I wish that more police departments across the country had um, larger crime prevention units and put more emphasis and, and really money and effort into this type of program. Agreed. Agreed. So what is your number one tip for a community that wants to prevent more crime? Is there a number one tip out there? If you do maybe this one thing, that'll help. I think that kind of depends on the type of crime that we're trying to prevent. Mm. Um, so I think in general, my number one for like person crime, so your yeah. personal safety is to trust your instincts. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people don't trust themselves and we tend to try to explain away our gut feelings instead of just listening to them um, and giving ourselves permission to either leave a situation, leave a person, get away from this place or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so I think for personal safety, my suggestion would be to trust your instincts. Um, but do you have a number one tip for maybe other types of crime? I think yeah. it, it kind of depends on the type of yeah. crime that we're trying to prevent. It's a very <laughs> general question, but we, we I've got like an hour if you want to hit every type of number crime. Break never it mind. up Go a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> types of crimes. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that Usually, uh, I'll mention when we do our, our presentations on safety and awareness, the hour and a half classes, is I think the importance of, uh, of practice and actually having a mindset that will put you in a good position to perform the way you want to, if this if we're talking about a personal safety situation. I think uh, a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, I, I, took, a, I took a class once and mm -hmm. That's about all they thought about it. And so, I mean, you even kind of give us an example of when you go, when you're traveling around, uh, you're going to make preparations uh, to feel safe in the way that feels good for you for your own personal safety. Mm -hmm. And I think if more people kind of just kind of take, it's just a few seconds here or there to do things um, that uh, I think are good habits mm -hmm. that help give us information ahead of time, um, that the more we do them, the easier they are. So if that very rare time happens that we have to pull something out to stay safe, mm -hmm. we have something uh, that we fall, we that's that's good to fall back on, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, something that we practice, something we're proficient with, and we can execute it without having to think. Hopefully we won't freeze. And I think that's kind of the, the, the one tip that I usually try to uh, really emphasize when we do talk to people is just the importance of like, you have to be in the right mindset they, these are things that do take practice. You won't just get it unless you really incorporate this into your everyday life. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point of, of kind of practicing, right? So um, I always kind of tie that back to like fire drills, right? Um, yeah. As children, you're taught in school to do earthquake drills, fire drills to a point where as adults, it becomes second nature to us that if we hear a fire alarm, we're going to go to our nearest exit, get out and form a line somewhere, right? Um, and I think that 
really that idea can can blend itself to personal safety as well and just practicing even like emergency preparedness with your family like what happens if there's an earthquake do you have an emergency kit do you have a place to go um also working with youth right if there's an incident do they know when to call 911 do they know if there's an emergency contact in the area is there a trusted neighbor is there a family member nearby um just things like that and i think that really goes to what matt was saying about practice and being prepared for sort of no matter what that situation might be, do I have a plan as to how I'm going to respond? I think that instinct, you know, means so much, you know, even for officers out there, you know, sometimes, you know, we kind of think, yeah, yeah, is this, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't feel right. Ah, I'm just, you know, being paranoid. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, you know, as uh, one colleague once told me, you know, sometimes just simply choosing safety you know, and going on the other side of the street or, or leaving that space is really the best idea in terms of crime prevention that, that you can you can take, actually. Uh, so the last question for both of you, for any of our law enforcement out there, um, or even some of our law enforcement spouse groups out there that want to learn more about crime prevention, want to learn more about what the Seattle PD is doing, maybe to model it, you know, how best can they reach both of you? Um, so I'll say a couple different things about that. Um, you can always Please. go to your favorite search engine and just search Seattle PD crime prevention. Um, we have a pretty robust website with lots of different pages. Um, there's some helpful videos. There's some handouts you can print. There's our contact information is also pretty accessible online as well. Um, but it is just our names at seattle.gov. So mine is jennifer.danner at seattle.gov. And officer Roberson's is matthew.roberson at seattle.gov. Um, so you can always reach out to us directly. We're happy to communicate with anybody who has questions. Um, I'm also happy to connect you with the Washington State Crime Prevention Association or any other state crime prevention association if you're interested in that. Um, but I think going to our website is a great um, step if you're interested in learning more about this work. Um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I do think our website is really great um, <laughs> and has some great resources. Um, Matt and I teach a personal safety class that you spoke about at the mm -hmm. um, True Crime Fest. And um, there's some links there on that website about how to attend our class um, or how to set up your own class. If you like. I say the, the class is online, so mm -hmm. potentially people from anywhere could yeah. take it if mm -hmm. you sign up. Um, and, mm -hmm. and we kind of run that through, we talked about partnerships before, through our Parks and Recreation mm -hmm. to kind of, they have the sign up system and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, feel free to attend our class, even if you're not here in Seattle. Um, our classes are often virtual, so um, mm -hmm. you can attend our class from anywhere in the world. And it, um, like I said, not to toot our horn, but I do think our class is pretty awesome um, and teaches them really great stuff. You know what? Toot away because <laughs> because it's probably well earned. And you know, for any of you know my friends in you know England, you know you can go wake up in the middle of, of the night and take Jennifer and in Officer Matt's class. Uh, Jennifer, Matt. You two have been awesome. I really appreciate you taking some time out of what I know is a very, very busy day today. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate the time and being able to talk about this important topic. Yeah, My pleasure. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced 
produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.